All right, well, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, welcome to everyone who is watching and following along with this edition of the Hall Call interview series. As always, I am Will Driscoll, the executive director here at the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, and, and I'm thrilled to once again be bringing you this edition of Hall Call. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to thank all of, our, uh, all of our supporting partners here at the Hall of Fame and Hall Call Priority Automotive, the city of Virginia Beach, Optima Health, Hamilton's Realty, Davis Business Appraisers, ESPN Radio, Davcon Inc. Uh, because of them, we are allowed, we are able to put on programs such as this. The support is growing. So this is really exciting that this platform continues. Well, let's get right into it. We are just over a week away from the NFL season kicking off with the defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams hosting the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen on Thursday night football to begin another five-month march towards the Super Bowl. Of course, as we've done every year since Hall Call began in 2019, we are not just getting you ready for the football season, but we're getting you ready for fantasy football season. Today, for the third, fourth time maybe, I think it's the fourth time, Jake, fourth time, we are joined by senior fantasy writer for The Athletic, Jake Seeley, who happens to be based right here in Virginia Beach. He's been an industry leader and award winner with his picks and rankings in both fantasy football, fantasy baseball. And I'm hoping that some of what we talk about today will be applicable to not just my draft, but your drafts as well. So, Jake, as always, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it is the fourth year. I remember the first year that we did it live in studio. <laughs> Those yes, that's days right. We did. It's yeah, been a long exactly. time. <laughs> we were just a podcast format at that point. Now we're doing now we're doing the video. Now we're doing the we cut up the audio for podcasts. So it's growing. So we're happy that you've been along on this journey with us. Uh for those who are following along, you can follow Jake on Twitter and Instagram at all in kid. And of course, read all of his material at theathletic.com. They have great fantasy football resources, hundreds of articles, all sorts of rankings. And you, you want to talk about a deep dive, go to theathletic.com. So, and if you have questions, if you're on the stream, please feel free to pass those along and I'll see if I can get those up there as well. But uh, let's get right into it. You know, the last two years for you and, and all of you, kind of your peers and contemporaries have been fraught with COVID. And, you know, how, how do we put these rankings together? Because COVID was always kind of at the, the tip of our tongues when talking about anything sports related. Has that changed going into this year? It has, but it's not going to completely go away because we even saw in the preseason, we had a few instances, I want to say it was two or three, where somebody got COVID and was out for the game. Uh, quarterback competition, quote-unquote competition with the Seahawks. We even saw that happen with Drew Locke. So it hasn't completely gone away, but it's not as crazy as it was when it first hit us in 2019, where it's like who knew what to do any given week and did it mean they're out for two games or one game, whatever it is. I still recommend if you are playing fantasy, still allow your IR spots to have COVID players. And just because that contingency might happen and worst case scenario, I will say this. The one thing that hasn't completely gone away is if you're saving people for Monday night, I don't want to say don't play people before then because we're kind of 95% of the way away from it, but maybe have a league rule where, hey, I'm waiting on this guy for Monday night, but if something happens, this is the guy I would have played. So Again, just kind of a contingency plan. It's mostly gone, but it's. I have a feeling this is never going to go completely away. You know, in fantasy football and fantasy sports, especially the prognostication side and, and the draft prep side, is all about, you know, people get in trouble overthinking. And, yes. uh, you know, people get in trouble overthinking and trying to always make that, you're, you know, playing chess instead of checkers. Was there anything that happened the last couple of years that you can, that really sticks out to you that says, man, th this league or this person, really performed because of a COVID absence or the opportunity because of something that happened regarding COVID? No, I would say it was more the opposite is like you saw teams underperform. Uh, and that generally kind of makes sense is the fact of when you have backup step in, especially if it's the quarterback position, you know how that could affect the entire team top to bottom. Uh, running backs would be the one specific area where you say like it wasn't much of a big difference, but generally you see offenses kind of like take a, a step back. Uh, basically, you know, if you'd like, let's go back to the Seahawks situation, which I brought up, let's say Geno Smith's playing the entire year and then he gets it. And now Drew Locke is stepping in in week 15. Stylistically, it's different. Uh, the play style is going to the calls, the everything, the playbook might be a little bit different for Drew lock than it is for Geno Smith not an overhaul but it's going to be a different style of quarterback and then you have the lack of play of hey if you're the backup quarterback you're probably not as good so I would expect this said like if COVID hits any team this year 
at running back, wouldn't be so concerned. Wide receiver, the next man steps up. You know, somebody like Tyler Boyd's going to step up if Jamar Chase or T. Higgins misses time. But if it's the quarterback, that would be the only one that I'm concerned about because I, I would say you would see a drop off. And no, I'm not even talking about the elites of the elites. It's just less time to plan. And especially if it happens later into the week where you've been practicing the entire week with said quarterback and now you have Friday, you got to step in and try to get practices on your last day. Uh, that would be the bigger thing. How has the strategy, and we're going to, don't worry, everybody, we're going to get to plenty of like player, actual player questions, but how has the strategy changed over the last few years with the inclusion and addition of a, of a Thursday game every single week? <laughs> it comes down to, I think that the strategy is what I recommend for everybody that people still miss is more of a, it's like, it's, it's more of a strategy piece that I don't think people realize is so most leagues, we know this, most leagues are two quarter, two running back, three wide receiver and a flex. Maybe you're still playing two, two and a flex, but people start people in their flex on Thursday night football, which is a huge mistake. That's the strategy. It is like, don't ever start somebody in your flex on Thursday night. Cause now you've locked up that spot. If somebody gets hurt on Friday or even Saturday, or somebody gets COVID, you don't have that flexibility where let's say you only had four running backs. You start one of them in the flex spot and your fourth running back, stinks you could have put a wide receiver in the flex spot or vice versa so the strategy is more so that and then what i would say is something else that people probably miss is thursday night can actually kind of tell you something so where i'll say is if you have a tough decision at running back or wide receiver you're like ooh, i don't know whether to start this guy or this guy and it's almost a 50 50 toss-up sometimes i'll say go ahead and play the guy on thursday night because that gives you information we're trying to look we know there's luck involved. It's like playing poker. That's why I always make the correlation with poker with all in kid is you can't eliminate luck. So take as many questions out of the equation as possible. You have a Thursday night toss up player, put him in there. If he goes ridiculously well and you have a great score, another decision's made for you because now you can play a safer lineup. If he bombs only scores two points. Well, now you say, well, this, this third wide receiver, I was potentially starting you go for more upside. Cause now it's like, well, I have to go all out because I'm already in a tough spot. So use Thursday as almost kind of like an information gathering session, so to speak. For someone like me, who's an overthinker, you actually just gave me more reasons to overthink. <laughs> <laughs> no, they say like you overthink Thursday though. So this is, this is so you don't overthink because now <laughs> you take part of the question out of it. <laughs> All right. Okay, good. All right. Good. I'm glad you spun that properly for me. Um, you know, the, the preseason has really, not that it was ever really important, but the, the importance of it has really declined over the last few years. And obviously there are there are players that we know who are starters that we're not even seeing them touch the field. And if we are seeing them touch yeah. the field, it's for a series or two. What can be taken, if anything, out of preseason and what players <laughs> or teams or, or how should we be evaluating newer players or players in new roles because of their preseason performance? I'm laughing internally because every single year I've said this is running with the ones means nothing because so for you mentioned with the new players or players switching teams is like when you have rookies that you've drafted, you can only evaluate how good their impact should be if you let them play with the first team. So everybody is running with the ones at some point. They see that every single year. What you should take out of the preseason is if you're not running with the ones, if you're a rookie or a veteran or whatever it is, and you're not even getting that opportunity, that's more telling as we sit here on cut day and watch some of these players. Like a good example is Tyler Johnson for the Buccaneers. I never had him on my depth chart because he was never running with the ones. He got a little bit of sprinkling in some preseason action, which as you mentioned, is very hard to parse through these days because you know you see rookies on other teams where like Damian Pierce for the Texans, who I really like, but you saw a ton of usage early, then week two, none. And sometimes that could mean, oh, he's not even in the mix, or it could have meant what this situation was, where they have already seen enough and they want to make sure he's healthy. So it's very tough. This is why you have to like pay attention to people like at The Athletic and other sites and see what the beat reporters are saying. But you want to see that pecking order and see how things are going to try and play out. But the bigger thing is don't think running with the ones is good. It's running not with the ones that's bad that tells us more. Speaking of running, 
uh, with the ones. I, I see a couple of jerseys behind you. Did <laughs> we take anything away from that? Just, just based on appearances? Can we judge a book by its cover as to who we might be going with at quarterback and running back? <laughs> uh, no, it's just, it's just big fans of them. Uh, the signed jerseys that I got. But Barkley, yeah, you know that. My dog, Barkley, who just actually came over. Here, let's see if we can get her up in the shot. Come here, Barkley. Up, oh, up, oh, come on. There you go. They get Barkley in the shot right there. I'm a Giants fan, so that's why I have the Barkley jersey. I will say, uh, I, you know, this isn't just Giants fandom because I'll be the first person to like criticize my team. I'm not a Daniel Jones fan. I thought the Kenny Galladay signing was wrong at the time, and we've seen that this year. So I don't want to think anybody out there is going to hear me and say, oh, it's just because he like." But no, I do like Saquon Barkley quite a bit this year. If we go back to you and us doing this last year, you and me, you and us, you and me doing this last year, we sat here right now saying Saquon Barkley probably wouldn't be 100% till the end of September. And we waited in that third and fourth week of the season. Saquon Barkley started looking really good. And then he stepped on the defender's ankle, rolled up his ankle, was never the same after that. But we saw him get back to it. Saquon Barkley's a top five talent. You know, the Giants offense could be a mess, but the thing is you're not drafting him inside the top five. You're drafting him as a fringe RB1 these days. I think he's one of the best values on the board. And again, that's not just because I'm a Giant. I'm not drafting anybody else in the Giants, any of the wide receivers, not Daniel Jones or whatever. So this comes from somebody that I will criticize my own team. But yes, Saquon Barkley and Kyler Murray's always a good pick. He was the number one quarterback in fantasy last year before DeAndre Hopkins got hurt. Just, just maybe wait and expect that you might get 90% Kyler Murray until Hopkins gets back after the suspension. So I was just going to, I was going to actually correlate that to what you were saying is, you know, Hopkins is out for six games, correct? So yes. how do we evaluate somebody like that? Because I know that with, when you're doing these rankings, you, you, you don't necessarily play up to, or think about what could happen. You know what has happened. And we know that Hopkins has been suspended and we saw that drop off last year without him. So how do we evaluate somebody like a Kyler Murray? You, you look at the multiple factors there is uh, the interesting thing about Kyler Murray without Hopkins too, is that his rushing efficiency wasn't as good. He actually only ran for touchdowns when Hopkins was in the lineup. Of course, small sample. I'm not saying that's going to be the, the, the tell going forward. He's not going to run for any touchdowns in the first six games. But if you look at the drop off also from his passing style, yes, they brought in Marquise Brown, but Deandre Hopkins, if he's still Hopkins and maybe he's starting to see the cliff drop off like Julio Jones, but if he's still himself, talent wise top 10 maybe even top five wide receiver and you take somebody off a team you can replace them with a Marquise Brown but it's not going to be the same so what I would say with Kyler Murray is if he does if he is your quarterback that you drafted uh be patient you know expect that you might get more of the 20 point performances than the 30 point performances that Kyler Murray had uh but the interesting factor here is too is that's why I really like James Conner I know we're talking Kyler Murray but that's why you like James Conner who Saw a nice uptick in the passing game when they lost Hopkins because they needed more options. He was a touchdown machine the last he 10 was. weeks of the season last year. And, and they paid him like a real lead running back. There's very little competition behind him. So it, it's funny. I would actually go two different ways with this. Is James Conner might end up being a sell-high candidate because if he's a top-five running back, I don't think anybody thinks he's going to finish as a top-five running back. And Kyler Murray might be a buy-low quarterback because Hopkins is that big of a factor. The best part about it is maybe Marquise Brown offsets it completely and Kyler Murray goes right back to being a top five quarterback. And then when Hopkins comes back, it's even better. So I actually, yes, it's not telling because I have the jersey, but I do have Kyler Murray in a lot of leagues because people are so worried about that drop off from last year. So where are you seeing him drafted then? The thing is, is where he used to be a top five quarterback, he's falling into that mix with Tom Brady and Joe Burrow. And like, depending on what your league might be, he's basically been like sixth, seventh, eighth quarterback off the board, which is really about the value there is now you're talking about the sixth, seventh round where last year and every time before this, he was in that mix for the top three or four quarterbacks was just you know, a top three or four round pick. So you're getting a discount on when Kyler Murray could be, even if he, and that's the thing is if he's a sixth, seventh rounder, and he's the sixth, seventh, eighth quarterback off the board. Even if he starts at slow to get that QB one, number one overall potential when Hopkins is back is that's a game changer in your league. Mm -hmm. But what, what great insight and what a great way to kind of launch us into all of the, the remaining questions that I have. And again, for those who, who may just be joining us, uh, we're talking with Jake Seeley, senior fantasy sports writer for The Athletic. And we're, we're just diving into fantasy football. Now, if you go to The Athletic, there's obviously their full fantasy football draft kit, but you are a big focal point of a lot of the coverage that you find on The Athletic. And when you look at your rankings, and I, I went through them 
kind of pour it over them because my first draft is actually tonight and I got another one this coming <laughs> Sunday. So the last week I've really been analyzing these, which is probably too late to, to get started, but I digress. But when looking at the rankings, you have your overall and positional rankings and you have them listed by tiers. But you have one QB in tier one, Josh Allen. You have only two running backs in tier one, McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor, one wide receiver, Cooper Cup, and three tight ends, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, and Kyle Pitts. What are we supposed to do with that information? If tier <laughs> one is so small, how, how are we supposed to evaluate not and not be disappointed if we don't get one of those in, say, a 12-team <laughs> league? So the tiers for everybody out there is really to tell you that these are players that are grouped together where they're almost interchangeable. So if you go further down, you mentioned like at quarterback is only Josh Allen. My next tier is Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, and Justin Herbert. If you want Justin Herbert to be number two and Lamar Jackson to be number five, you're not going to get me to sit here and argue with you and be like, oh, you're insane. Why would you do that? The biggest thing about tiers and I know you're focusing on tier one, I'll get to that in a second, but like when you get to the deeper ones, like tiers three and four, this is the draft strategy of when you're sitting there on the board and like, let's say we're talking running back and real quick, I'll go to like tier four is a little smaller than tier three, but there's six running backs there. And let's say the draft board is sitting in tier four of running backs and wide receivers. For tier four wide receivers, there's six names on the board. For tier four of running backs, there's one or two that's how you sit there and say well i'm going to take the running back because i'm about to enter the next tier where the wide receiver still might be in that tier when it comes back to my pick and you never want to be the person who takes the first one in the next tier because you're breaking that tier and everybody drafting out of you after you is getting similar value but you paid the most so for tier one it's more of just telling you like how tough it is to be a player of that elite level. Like I have Cooper Cup in tier one, you mentioned wide receiver separate from Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. A lot of people have told me I'm crazy for that, but I keep going back to the fact, even if you top, look, you take 20% of Cooper Cup's last year's production off. 20% is a huge number. And you increase Justin Jefferson by 5%, which is more than feasible. He, Cooper Cup's still better. And that's why he's tier one by himself. But Tier one is just about like, look, you're going to get these elite players and it's kind of, I wouldn't focus too much on tier one and tier two. Tier two is still amazing players. It's just Josh Allen is so far ahead above everybody else that his floor is so high and his ceiling is so high at the same time. Yeah. Cooper cup had just an all-time season, not, not, not just fantasy, just an all-time season across football history. It, it was, it was an amazing year. Right. But talking about specifically Josh Allen, you know, best QB on your board, but in the in the average draft ranking, he's at 36, which if you're in a 12 team snake draft league, that's the that's the very end of the third round. Yep. Um, is it a mistake to take him in the first or second round? Yes. So I, I know people want to do this all the time and people love to take their quarterbacks. Unless you, if you want to start taking quarterbacks in the first and second round, play super flex. That's where you can put a quarterback in the flex spot. And that brings the value back to quarterback. And that bringing value back to quarterback is why you don't take them there. Because even if Josh Allen is tier one, even if Josh Allen repeats last year, it's still only one or two fantasy points per game for the next best quarterback. At, like that's expecting him to still have that kind of a leg up there's a good chance it might be less than a point per week. And that's what it comes down to is quarterback is so flat that while you see in tier three, I have about eight or nine quarterbacks is there's very, there's very little difference over the course of an entire season where Tom Brady's in the same conversation of a uh, Jalen hurts and Lamar Jackson, where they're running more, but he's throwing more touchdowns because rushing is more valuable. It all comes down to look at last year, Joe Burrow, late rounds, double digit rounds. Uh, you can talk about Jalen Hurts uh, at the end of draft. Some people didn't even draft them when their draft was over and finishes as a top seven quarterback. And again, was a miserable passing year and was still a top seven quarterback. But then you have somebody like Kyler Murray, who we just talked about, who was drafted consistently as a top four quarterback. Some people were even taking him number one last year over Josh Allen, if people remember correctly. But at the end of the season, on that per game basis, what's the big difference between Kyler Murray, who had a little bit of a letdown season, and you know a Patrick Mahomes, who also had a little bit of a letdown season? That's the I'll give you that. Ask everybody who drafted Patrick Mahomes in the second round last year how they felt last year about Patrick Mahomes. And again, I expect Mahomes to be better this year, but it's just it's so replaceable that it's harder to replace the running back or wide receiver you passed on 
versus the quarterback. So that's why if you really, like I said, but people should try Superflex. It's a lot of fun. That I, I like the sound of the Superflex because it, it does, it does make you, I, I'm not a, a first or second round quarterback guy, but it does feel weird passing on guys like that to go right. for your RB two or your RB three. It's just, it's just one of those weird feel things. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about your, your rankings factor in things that have happened, not things that potentially could happen. So that brings us to the, the curious case right now of Lamar Jackson. He, he MVP, one of the greatest athletic talents we've ever seen in the league, but speed is always one of the first things to go. And quarterbacks uh, that, that run as much as he does, they take more hits. It's just, it's just the way the game is. And he's also dealing with this contract issue right now. So he's his own agent. He's he doesn't seem to be as happy this year as he was the previous years. What do fantasy prognosticators make of the Lamar Jackson situation and his upcoming potential this year? Yeah, I, for me, I, I mentioned it just when I ran through that list. I have him as the second quarterback because of what you mentioned. Even if you look at the drop off, so you take yards per carry, which isn't a great stat in its own right. Like if you want to go to the athlete, that's a whole article. If you want the deep dive, there you can go head down that one. But <laughs> But the yards per carry have come back because you mentioned speeds to go, but also the hits he's taken. Maybe he runs a little bit less. Uh, to go back to Kyler Murray, we saw last year he wants to run a little bit less. Uh, Russell Wilson, that this past couple of years, has run less and less and less. So this kind of situation happens. You know, Mar Jackson's still only in his fifth year. I don't expect a huge drop off. That's just not who he is to say he's going to go from 160, 170 rush attempts to just 100. Uh, but you can look at somebody that we know from this area way back in the day, Michael Vick. Like at some point, it just takes so much. But even when you saw later years, Michael Vick still kept that rushing upside. It was kind of more the passing that was the the hit or miss. And so I look at Jackson, and this is the second reason why. is I think this offense is now designed a little bit better for him because they let Marquise Brown go. And Rashad Bateman's their number one, who is more in the intermediate game. Mark Andrews has taken a huge step forward. And if you saw that offense a little bit runs more efficiently when Lamar Jackson isn't his second option isn't heading downfield 25, 30 yards, because what happens uh, to bring Russell Wilson back into this conversation is when plays break down and part of Lamar Jackson's threat is being able to not rush, but also extend the play with his legs. But when the play breaks down, you don't always have that option to sit, set, and look for the guy that's already 30 yards downfield. It's the one that needs to break free like Tyler Lockett did for Russell Wilson for the longest time. And sometimes those plays turn into 50-yard plays. But more often than not, you want somebody who can get in space better. And I think this is why Lamar Jackson, from my opinion, sees better passing numbers this year than we've seen. I'm not calling the MVP season with the 30-something touchdowns, but I think we're going to see a little bit better passer from Lamar Jackson, which should offset maybe he only runs 150 times this year, but he is still one of the biggest threats running back or quarterback wise on, on the leg version of him. So I'll still take the rushing upside for seven, 800 yards. How big is the difference between him and Josh Allen in your mind? Mm, so the risk of his lack in the passing game. And then of course the injury factor, of course, Josh Allen could get hurt. Anybody could get hurt. Yeah. The more hits you take, the more likely you are to get hurt. But Josh Allen, put it this way. I don't take quarterbacks early. So I'll give you the comparison real easy. If Josh Allen is sitting there in the fourth round, I take him every single time. He just, he never makes it there. Lamar Jackson, I'm still not thinking about at least until the fifth, maybe not the sixth, because I'm okay waiting to get Kyler Murray or Justin Herbert or somebody like that. So I say it's a two round difference because he does have a much lower risk floor than Josh Allen does. Very nice. I like, love that insight. Love that insight. The only insight you can find from a, a guy like Jake Seeley right here going between <laughs> parsing between Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, one MVP, another most likely a future MVP if he stays healthy. Um, speaking of a past MVP, though, Patrick Mahomes. You know, we have a situation where one player, not it wasn't Mahomes, but one player has dramatically impacted how two teams are viewed and potentially their skill positions uh, at the quarterback and then on the outside. And that's the Tyreek Hill trade from the Chiefs to the Dolphins. Um, how does his absence affect the Chiefs, but how does his addition uh, conversely affect the Dolphins, both from the quarterback positions and then also the complementary skill players, Waddle uh, and the running back and Roheem Mustard, I believe, in, in Miami. But then you also have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you have Travis Kelsey and the wide receiving core in Kansas City. How does Tyreek Hill going both ways affect both of those teams? 
So this actually has a little bit of similarity, a little bit to Lamar Jackson. Uh, on my show last year, I actually broke down in the middle of the season when Patrick Mahomes, everybody like people were panicking on Patrick Mahomes and fantasy. They're like, should, should I just go to another quarterback? And uh, somebody over at wavy, I won't say his name was, and it wasn't, it wasn't Bruce, but somebody was like, should, should I switch out my quarterback? Patrick, I'm like, no, stay patient because this is what happened last year. So the NFL is smart. Like let's really, there's reason all these guys and these coaches are in the NFL. What happened last year is people were trying and trying and trying to figure out how do we stop Patrick Mahomes? How do we limit him? Then that's what the answer is because you weren't going to stop him, but you're going to limit him. And what happened against Kansas City is they're running a ton of cover two for everybody that sends the two safeties deep and they're keeping everything in front of them. So they're keeping Tyreek Hill in front of them. They're preventing the big play where he got behind because of his speed and now Patrick Mahomes' choice was, hey, do I throw it deep the hill or watch the safeties pull up on Hill and then you know, obliterate them with Travis Kelsey? And that's why you saw Kelsey and Hill have 50% of the team's targets. Those two players had 50% of it because you had to pick your poison and there was no winning for defenses. So what they said is we'll keep the safeties and keep Hill in front of us. So now we keep everybody in front of us. And Patrick Mahomes struggled with that for a while because he didn't want to turn to Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle and all the rest. And once the offense shifted a little bit and started to pull things into more of the intermediate game, and that's the similarity to Lamar Jackson I'll bring up, is they started to click again. And Patrick Mahomes started to do better with Tyreek Hill and get him, you know what, I'll get him the ball 10 yards and his speed will do it after the fact. So Tyreek Hill leaving, I think, doesn't do much for Patrick Mahomes. If anything, I think it's the change in philosophy. They brought in Juju Smith-Schuster, who is a big slot receiver. They brought in other weapons. Marquez Valdez-Scanling is the deep option, but now he's the third option at best out there with Nicole Hardman. And you're going to see more balance for Patrick Mahomes. I actually think we could see Patrick Mahomes get back to what we knew from two years ago, not last year's Mahomes, where he could be the MVP. He could have the best season and rival Josh Allen again. As for Tyreek Hill with Tua, I've even got some inside information that, yes, the Dolphins are going to pass more. You don't bring in Tyreek Hill and not pass more. I got some inside information that said, I'm not being like, oh, inside information. But, you know, this is this is my job. This is why I have to do this. That they might pass even more than I expect. Like, this could be very much of a gunslinger offense for Tua with Hill and Waddle. So I think that Hill and Waddle, as we've seen last year with Chase and Higgins and the year before with Jefferson and uh, Adam Thielen and years with Metcalf and Lockett, where both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle could be top 15 wide receivers and Tua if he does take the step forward we hope him to be he could be a top 10 top 12 quarterback and shock everybody and if he doesn't Dolphins are going to be in a world of hurt and looking for another quarterback next year because there's no more excuses I think one of the funniest things that I've heard uh, develop over the course of the offseason is the Tuanon group. You know, I've, you have the <laughs> Tua, that I haven't so heard that in, so in on Tua, and they want him to do so well down in Miami that they've kind of coined themselves the Tuanon group. Uh, I want to stick with. I, I wasn't planning on this, but you mentioned you mentioned one player, and then that got me thinking about another player. So Juju Smith Schuster. It was four or five years ago where he he would have been considered a wide receiver one for the the Steelers. Yep. I, I think over 100 catches, almost at least in that range. What what are we to make of him now? Now that he's I a think, few years older, and and last year it was tough to really judge any of the Steelers receivers because it was seven yards and out, seven yards and out with the, with Roethlisberger. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a couple of players. I do a last year's trash, quote unquote, or like I put it in quote because I don't want to call players trash, but that's a, it's a good example for the people. People don't go back to players that burned them most often. They hate to do that. And that's why I say last year's trash because that's where you find value because they get pushed down draft boards because people don't, so many people had them in different leagues that they don't want them anymore. I think Juju's in a really nice spot for the fit that I just mentioned with Patrick Mahomes, but more so. The, the issue with Juju is twofold. It's not just what happened last year, but it's also the disappointment when he was on his own after Antonio Brown left from the year before in 2020, where he was wide receiver 20 that year, but it was not a thousand yards. It was, I think it was eight or nine touchdowns. There's a little bit of a disappointment because people expected, oh, he's already been a top 12 wide receiver, as you mentioned, and now Antonio Brown is gone. Let's light the world on fire. He could potentially be top five. There are certain wide receivers that are extremely skilled that just aren't capable. And I, I'm not coming for these players like this is our job. I, I hate to say it. I wish that everybody was great. But Juju is not equipped to be a true number one. I, I always compare it to back with the day. You remember Anquan Bolden with the Cardinals? And then when he was asked to be the number one, he was 
good, but he wasn't quite as good as he was when he had that Larry Fitzgerald, like the, the, you know, always had somebody next to him that was helping him take the attention off. They're basically one B wide receivers. Now with Kansas city, I think he's in a great spot. Worst case scenario. He's what he was two years ago. And that's still wide receiver 20. The better upside is he's playing with Kelsey, other weapons around him. And you want to talk about, is there any better quarterback upgrade for a wide receiver to go from Ben Roethlisberger's toast arm that you just mentioned to Patrick Mahomes? Like, I think that's being discounted more than any. Like, you realize he went from Roethlisberger to Mahomes, right? So if he has 120, 110 targets, I think he's going to be a lock for the top 20. I have a lot of Juju Smith-Schuster this year. What about Gasecki, the tight end for the Dolphins? No. Oh. So out in Gasecki. And there's a lot of people that are now on board with the out, but I never, I wasn't a big fan of Gasecki as soon as they drafted Waddle last year. Mm -hmm. And Gasecki still had a good year last year, but it was still fringe tight end one. The reason is, is because Gasecki, so a quick version of this inline tight end is what you think of a classic tight end inline is they block a lot they run from that position that's off centered from the, the line a little bit and they run a lot of their routes because they deceive what they're doing by whether they're going to block or run a route the more of the slot wide wide like basically move tight ends or where they kind of are where juju smith schuster might line up they're in the slot uh, as a third wide receiver so to speak gasicki was great in that role and he actually had a pretty decent year last year, but he was one of the highest volume tight ends last year and still only checked in as a fringe tight end one. And now you bring in Tyree Kill, who spends 50% of his time in the slot. Jalen Waddell is one of the most dangerous slot wide receivers in the league. They're outside. And what are they asking Gasicki to do? Play in line. And he's not a very good in line tight end because he's not a great blocker either. He's an okay blocker. And if you're going to be asking to block, you're not going to be running routes to be able to catch balls. So what happens is I think that Gasicki is, in my opinion, not even worth drafting for tight ends this year. That's that's a bold statement. <laughs> that is a bold statement. But what's interesting is if you if you read any anything about the Dolphins, which I mean, of course, who isn't reading about the Dolphins regularly? But their offensive line last year was historically bad, like one of the worst. So, you know, Tua is now going into year three, but. The, the sample size is still so small and the support system around him has not been great that now he actually has all the, all the toys in the toy chest yeah. with the coach who comes from a, we, we don't know exactly what Mike McDaniel is, but we know what coaching tree he comes from. So does that factor into any of the projections for the Tyree kills, uh, the Dolphins running backs, uh, the Jalen Waddles, and then on down to, to Gusecki? It does. And part of it is trying to like get the information from the people on the ground and talking to these teams all the time. And like I said, mentioned with that, they're going to pass more than even I expect the backfield. You know, you say Mike McDaniel coming from the Shanahan tree is like, well, he's going to use all of his running backs. And it's going to be frustrating and week in week out. And oh, these Andy are all Gary, Mike Anderson. Yeah, yeah I know, right? Terrell Davis for 10 years, basically. Yeah. And then exactly what Kyle is doing over with San Francisco every year is a new running back. Um, although I do really like Elijah Mitchell, but that being said, that's a separate conversation. But I, I think you look at this and you try to, what my job is, what our job, people who cover the teams is try to parse through all this information and give you the best potential outcome. Again, we're trying, it's almost, I don't want to say we're weathermen, but you know, like you were out here, we're giving as much information as we can get reading this much information as we can get using our knowledge of information and then telling you what should happen according to everything we're being told of course things can go haywire or things can go and we're predicting performance we're perfecting players playing a sport so it's going to be tough but when it comes to mcdaniel i think that you're going to see the fact that they kept miles gaskin and savan ahmed is that they're going to even throw to the running back some more which is again leaving gesicki out of the equation uh, but the passing more of Tua with the offensive line, as you mentioned, is they're going to try to build this offense of what Mike Daniel, McDan Mike McDaniel envisions. And it sounds like a backfield slash two wide receiver focus. So even the signing of Cedric Wilson, who's now kind of been battling with Trent Sherfield, I honestly think this is a good thing because for years on end, the Vikings have been one of the best fantasy places to go because it was like, Hey, we only have to care about three guys. We're not worried about four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, because they don't even get involved enough with the dolphins. This might be two and outside of Tua, you just care about Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Stop trying to figure out the backfield because you're going to be banging your head against the wall all year long, whether it's chase Edmonds, Mostert, 
Ahmed or Gaskin any given week and stop messing around with the rest. They, they, they may, like, go back to what I said to you before. Take as many questions out. The, the, the many questions you have is just who do you want in the Dolphins? It's two guys. It's the wide receivers. The end. <laughs> you know, we, you obviously, and we've talked about it over and over again, running back wide receiver heavy in the first few rounds. But we've also talked about the importance of the quarterback to these skill position players. And there, there are two teams in particular that really stick out moving on from quarterback situations that for a long time had been very fruitful for them. And that's the Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger and the Seahawks with Russell Wilson. What do we do with the skill position players, the Deontay Johnsons, the Najee Harris's, uh, the Tyler Lockett's, DK Metcalf's of the world, now that you have Mitchell Trubisky and Geno Smith going in as week one starters this year? Yeah, so one of the things I do over the athletic is I have my projections and my rankings, two different things. The projections, you can actually download and change. You can say, I don't agree with you, Jake. I think this person is going to get this share and everything. But what it does is even if you don't change it, it gives you a good look at how projections are made because I, you know, I show how many total snaps for a team, how many times do they pass all that type of stuff. So let's stick for the Steelers for one second. The Steelers, you can actually pull back the number of plays they have for the year, which I did because maybe the offense doesn't have as much success, not only because the quarterback situation, but the offensive line looks like a mess right now. The offensive line you brought up earlier with the dolphins from last year, looks like it could be down there with like the bears as like one of the worst five offensive lines in the league, which means the offense is going to struggle yards per play and just plays in general. So you pull that back, which pulls back Najee Harris on a yards per carry basis, which pulls back the receivers from getting as many targets. So it's just this waterfall effect. And that's what you can do as for the quarterback itself. I actually wrote an article a couple months ago when they brought in Trubisky and I said, you know what? It's not as bad as you think it is because I looked at Trubisky and I look at Ben Roethlisberger the last three years and they're basically the same quarterback. So it can't really get any worse. Like as much as we loved Roethlisberger for his career for fantasy and what he did for the Steelers, if you're a Steelers fan, his last three years were pretty miserable. Uh, you mentioned it about the yards per play and just he couldn't throw the ball downfield. So the quarterback, I'm not so worried about. It's more of the team outlook. Same thing for the Seahawks. You take away Russell Wilson and also what is going to be a pretty awful offensive line, and you're going to see a similar effect. Fewer plays, less effectiveness, less efficiency. The one area where the Dolphins, or the Dolphins, the Seahawks, where I kind of feel like this is my football, maybe acumen pushing back against like, my like there's years I'll, I'll bring up an example real quick Lamar Jackson and I'm not saying this to laud myself because I did the wrong thing when I did my projections for Lamar Jackson back in 2019 he checked in as my number two quarterback and I sat there and I said "Ooh, that that's a little aggressive let me let me be a little bit more conservative and I pulled him down to QB seven I was wrong I should have left actually I should have moved him up one spot because he was QB one that year he had a pretty good so, year that year <laughs> yeah just a little bit so that where I bring this into the conversation is Geno Smith isn't as bad as people make him out to be and he targeted Lockett a little bit more than Metcalf but threw his touchdowns to Metcalf and I sit here and I say you know what everybody apologizes for Allen Robinson for all those years for his terrible quarterbacks everybody wants Darnell Mooney despite the fact that Justin Fields looks shaky you know, everybody says A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith will be fine. I'm a Jalen Hurts fan, but, you know, they're making these. And I said, and yet we're knocking Metcalf way down the list because Geno's the quarterback and he's going from Russell. And yes, we should knock Metcalf back a bit, but maybe as Metcalf deserve to be in that alpha conversation of like the quarterback independent like Deontay Johnson you mentioned him he's going to get peppered all year long no matter who the quarterback is why are we not giving the same credence to Metcalf so I have a lot of Metcalf this year so far for that reason to say all that but also again your main question being is you affect the entire team when you talk about the quarterback play and that's how you can use that to evaluate in fantasy where these players should fall who is this year's Jamar Chase who there is none. There's the, that's like, like we've been spoiled. Let's make this clear. We've been spoiled the last two years with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. There's no rookie that's going to finish top 10, in my opinion. Uh, the one that I think comes the closest that's this year is Jamar Chase, the best wide receiver. I do think is Drake London, but he's already missed some time with the injury. He's also going to Marcus Mariota and not Joe Burrow. Which is like, and Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins. So we all know Kirk Cousins. The the value of the quarterback. (laughs) See, so it matters. And if they turn to Ritter at some point, sure, that might be great for the future. But again, it's still not going to be the level because that offense 
is going to struggle. That's not going to be a Bengals offense. That's not going to be a, even a Vikings offense. So that's what it comes down to. A lot of the wide receivers this year, unfortunately, uh, fell into situations where there's a battle for playing time and we can see more value in the second half of the season. Like I do like Alec Pierce. I do like Garrett Wilson. I do like Chris Olave. But I think this year, because we've been spoiled, is that maybe those kind of wide receivers we don't see till the second half being top 30 wide receivers. But if my odds, like if I had to put a bet on somebody out there, it would be London. But I just, I don't even think he's going to get inside the top 15, maybe inside the top 20. It's just, we've been, like I said, we've been spoiled the past two years, unfortunately. What about the rest of the Bengals skill players, Mixon, Higgins? Uh, where, where are we slotting these guys in? I mean, they, they obviously finished the season on a yes. hot streak. Yes. And, and they were all very uh, they, they played big roles in that run to the Super Bowl. So where do we where do we see them right now? So uh, Jamar Chase, you mentioned before, he's up there with Justin Jefferson, uh, just a tick behind Cooper Cup for me. And that's where he should be. Everybody loves Justin Jefferson as potentially unseating Cooper Cup. And I've been the one sitting here saying, why not? Why is Chase not in this conversation? Because Jefferson had 160 plus targets. Chase did what he did on Jefferson's heels with only 120. And what if this offense takes a step forward and all of a sudden Chase gets to 140, 150, 160 targets? So I love some Chase. Higgins is a fringe wide receiver one. We're looking at the offense uh, like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, both top 15 wide receivers last year. Uh, For years, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, both wide receiver ones. Justin Jefferson, back two years ago, I mentioned him with, you know, Adam Thielen. We're both wide receiver ones. I think we're going to see two more wide receiver ones. I expect Joe Mixon to repeat as a top 10 running back. But the interesting thing here is nobody wants Tyler Boyd because everybody's just like, oh, it's just those three. Give me Tyler Boyd late because you'll be able to use him some weeks and then hopefully it doesn't happen. But if Chase or Higgins went down, you're telling me that Tyler Boyd's not a, at least a top 25 wide receiver. So I expect a lot for the Bengals this year. I actually think they could run a few more plays than they did last year because they were so efficient last year. But I think they could take that next step forward this season, especially there's an offensive line that also improved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plenty of options in the, in the AFC North in Cincinnati. Uh, going to the top of the draft right now, Christian McCaffrey is rated as your number one overall player. <laughs> uh what to if you're if you're sitting there at number one and you're on the clock how much of a slam dunk is christian mccaffrey given his injury history it's it's a slam dunk for me because we know that unlike saquon barkley who played through an injury and didn't look great after the injury when chris mccaffrey's on the field he's scoring 20 plus points like i think one of his worst games was 15 or 16 and he left early like we've seen that christian mccaffrey just has to stay on the field i understand if people don't want to take that pick because of the injury concern. If you want to shy from that, I'm okay with it. But I play as if my projections, I project everybody to play a full season because playing the injury game is hit or miss. You're going to guess right and guess wrong 50-50. So you're basically just flipping a coin of if you're right on that. And everybody's injury prone until they're not. Leonard Fournette, injured through college, injured the first two years of his career in the NFL and then plays a full season. Joe Mixon, you just brought up, missed time almost every single year until last year. People weren't drafting him as a top 10, 12 running back because he always missed time. I understand the concern, but I'm going to play with the guy who can finish as the number one, who can, has been the number one running back, and I'm going to take him. And you could go to Derrick Henry, who, by the way, Derrick Henry over a point and a half per game more than Jonathan Taylor when he played last year and half and full PPR. Didn't matter the setup. So, like, you, you see what I'm saying? Jonathan Taylor's safe, but there's guys who are actually been better than him. Yeah. What's your most interesting position group? For me, looking at all of your rankings, I'm going back to the quarterbacks. And, and probably, and this is the main reason why. You have guys like Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott, and Russell Wilson ranks 9,900 and 101 overall and 11, 12, and 13 in their position group. These are, that's the reigning MVP. And you have him as the 12th <laughs> best quarterback. Uh, really what it comes down to is, like I said, it's the replaceability of it is that if Aaron Rodgers loses Devontae Adams, what if he only throws 28 touchdowns, 30 touchdowns? Like takes a little bit of a step back that's how flat to go back to the conversation. That's how flat quarterback is, is those few touchdowns can drop you from QB six to QB 16, because it's that little bit of a tick down that can do it. Uh, 
What I will say here is, yes, they are in that range overall, but that comes back to the philosophy of just wait and take your quarterback. If you're in a league where people don't wait, they're not going to be there in those rounds. They'll be still drafted in the sixth and seventh round, uh, partly because of name value. But nobody wanted Matthew Stafford early last year, and Matthew Stafford went ballistic and was a top 10 quarterback right up there with those names. So it just comes down to you can find guys every single year. Would it be a shock for me if Justin Fields even having a passing performance that looks quite awful for the entire year, like Jalen Hurts just did last year, finishes a top 12 quarterback because he runs a lot? It wouldn't shock me. I don't think it's going to happen because that team has questions in its own right. But it's just more of the replaceability. I would say, yeah, quarterback's very interesting because of what you just said. Is It's going to take very little shakeup. I mean, think about Derek Carr. Derek Carr wasn't a QB1 last year, and he threw 4,800 yards. He wasn't a QB1 because only threw, what was it, 23 or 24 touchdowns? You give him five more touchdowns, and now he's a top 10 quarterback. And that's all it takes. That's why That's why it's so interesting, and people go after after quarterbacks. But this is what it's telling you is that just wait. Just wait. Let everybody else and load up elsewhere and then draft your quarterbacks later on. Get your RB1, RB2, wide receiver 1, 2, and then maybe look yes. at the quarterback, the quarterback room. Even wide receiver 3. <laughs> just load up on that outside talent, the skill positions. Uh, give us some candidates to make some big jumps this year and maybe be worth an, an early round slightly reach of a pick not a big reach but who's somebody that if they're there in the, the late second third round and and they're still there it might be worth taking a chance Ooh, second third round i'd say cam Akers for the rams i know there's been a lot of speculation about his soft tissue injury now uh i kind of believe sean mcveigh is playing with us here because earlier in the show i told you listen and see what the teams tell you this is what i say this every single year what are the teams telling you the Rams last year, we know this, Cam Akers came back from Achilles. Nobody comes back from an Achilles and plays as good as they did. But he comes back from an Achilles, and nobody has ever come back from an Achilles in six months. You know this, Will. Like, we were all sitting here like, oh, my God, he's back? Like, is this a joke? But yet they brought him back. They had two other options that they had been using effectively, and yet with the playoffs and the Super Bowl on the line, they gave Cam Akers a clear bell cow workload. Mm-hmm. That tells me what Sean McVay and the Rams want to do is they want Cam Akers to be their guy. So I think they're being a little coy with how bad this soft tissue injury is and just kind of holding them out of the preseason. I think Cam Akers could make the leap inside the top 10 for running backs. And that really wouldn't shock me if it happened. The biggest thing is health. Um, you don't have to go second, third round on this one, but I do want to bring him up. Uh, he's more of a, fifth, sixth, maybe even seventh round. But Elijah Moore for the Jets. Everybody's focused on the rookie Garrett Wilson. Uh, I know Zach Wilson's hurt and whether or not he might play week one. But Elijah Moore, I think people missed how good he was in that second half before he got hurt and ended his season. He was seeing volume every single week. He was struggling really early, and then it clicked. Elijah Moore is a great talent. And when it clicked, it wasn't just Zach Wilson. A lot of those games were Mike White, too. It didn't matter, the quarterback. And that stretch of games right before he got hurt, I don't know if people know this, Will, he was wide receiver two overall. He was wide receiver five in points per game for the few players that had buys. In so all he was of fantasy. Top, in all of fantasy, he was a top 10 wide receiver for those five or six games right before he got hurt, the second half of the season. I'm not saying he's a wide receiver one, but if you see Elijah Moore in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, and you're looking for, that's your answer of who could be the next Jamar Chase, is that, yes, it's a second year, but the guy that can make that immediate like jump up and like, oh, my God, where did this come from? I think people are just forgetting how good Elijah Moore is because everything else going on with the Jets. Who, who's somebody going the other way? Who's somebody that if, if we see them, and it's a name that we know, and it's a name that we've trusted in the past, but this year might just be the year that you let somebody else take that, make that mistake potentially. Mm, there's, I'll give you two running backs, Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery. And for differing reasons, Josh Jacobs has the Josh McDaniels factor coming in, loves to use multiple running backs. I still think he's the lead, but there's a lot of concerns of all the passing work going to Brandon Bolden and Amir Abdullah, and they didn't bring back his contract. They drafted Zemir White. What if he only gets 200 carries? I don't think it's going to happen, but I still I can't take Josh Jacobs as an RB2, a locked-in RB2 for what we've seen from past years. And I like Jacobs, the player. It's just I don't love his situation. And then David Montgomery is similar 
in the fact that I think Khalil Herbert's a bigger threat than some other teams have with their second running back. Montgomery's a good player too. He's a good running back, but that offensive line has issues. Uh, you have a quarterback that runs and you go back to the Ravens and look at years where their RB one has been an RB one in fantasy it involves a lot of touchdowns. Like it's not a lot of carries because you're sharing with a quarterback who's taking 20, 25% of the rushes himself. So when you talk about you needing touchdowns, do we really think David Montgomery's going to approach double digit touchdowns on that Bears offense? I don't. And if he's splitting with Khalil Herbert, even 60 40, who last year showed that he could handle a workload if Montgomery were to get hurt, I think both of those running backs are now in the I'm kind of staying away territory. We could obviously do this all day, uh, but but I will get you out of yeah, here with just one more. Uh, I mean, there's just so much information, and it's always one of my favorite hall calls we do each year. But you know, Tom Brady seems to have found the literal fountain of youth. <laughs> what are we supposed to make of the Tampa Bay skill positions? How are how are you approaching Tampa Bay when it comes to your drafts and your rankings? Yeah, so people think I'm nuts for having Tom Brady at eighth at quarterback. But again, it's all on his arm. Even if you take 10% off, we just talked about how easy it is from the slide down. You don't run at all. I want yeah. some of that running safety. But it's more so like, I'm not worried about Tom Brady. I've taken Tom Brady because he's slipped pretty far in drafts because I think people are more concerned too, like the age and that he wasn't with the team for two weeks and where they... Tom Brady could skip the entire offseason and walk in a week one and you know Tom Brady's going to be Tom Brady. I'm not worried about that. So I think Mike Evans is back to being a locked in wide receiver one i'll take him inside the top 12. i think chris godwin's a nice value because the uncertainty of how healthy he is for week one I'll go back to the barkley situation we might not see chris chris godwin be himself until the end of september and that discount is i what i tell a lot of people is like this is like think about when you're getting chris godwin at wide receiver 25 or somewhere around there Yes, you have to suffer through three or four weeks of wide receiver three, but if Chris Godwin's 100% come October, you're now talking about what Chris Godwin always is, is a top 12 wide receiver, but that's baked into his discount. So I have a lot of Chris Godwin. The tight end position I'm kind of staying away from. They brought in Kyle Rudolph. It looks like this is kind of Cameron Bright if I had to, but I'm, I'm still staying away. I think you're going to see a lot more three wide reliance in that Julio Jones might get that late career resuscitation if he could just if he could stay on the field. I was ask you, but, is the fountain of youth enough for Julio? <laughs> I, I, you know what? If he's been hanging out with Tom Brady and he gave him the secret sauce to that for that, I like get in on Julio Jones. But the good thing about Julio Jones now is he's free. Like nobody's drafting him because of the disappointment and what we hope for the Titans and then being hurt. Uh, Julio Jones is interesting, and if it's Russell Gage, he's interesting too. Who like missed a lot of the preseason because he was hurt. Whoever the number three is is going to have value. So take a, even if you draft both, you know, 13th, 14th round, 12th, 13th round, and you cut one of them by week three, you're usually cutting guys in week 13 or your 13th, 14th round by week three anyway for a waiver wire pickup. So take the flyer on them. I want most people playing with Tom Brady at wide receiver. As, as always, Jake, the information is just overload, but that's what we need this time of year. We, we need all of this deep dive. We need this information. Uh, four years running. It's still just as much fun as it was in year one. So, Jake, thanks so much for joining us today on the Hall Call interview series. Uh, I always look forward to it. I'm looking forward to 40 years running. Can we make that's that right. happen? Yes, yeah, that's right. We will, God willing, we will be here in 40 years. But uh, be sure to go over to theathletic.com and read all of Jake's content, as well as all of his colleagues on Athletic Fantasy Sports. They have a fantasy football draft kit, which, like I said, has over 100 articles and just mountains of information. You want to talk about every acronym you can think of, it's on theathletic.com. <laughs> so be sure to also follow Jake on Twitter and Instagram at AllInKid. I'd like to thank everyone who, who watched and followed along. Didn't see any questions, but I did see a lot of people popping in and out. Um, thanks to our, to our sponsors as well. Priority Automotive, City of Virginia Beach, Optima Health, ESPN Radio, Davcon Inc., White Claw Hard Seltzer, Davis Business Appraisers, and Hampton and Hamilton's Realty, I should say. Stay tuned for updates on future hall calls and make, be sure to follow us on our website, all social media at VA Sports HOF. Once again, I'm Will Driscoll with the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. Whatever you do, participate, don't spectate, and we will see you next time.